That's right. You know what time it is. It is time for another edition of Road Trippin'. Welcome inside the studios. I'm Allie Clifton, running point per usual solo. But as we know, we've come to learn due to COVID-19, I'm not completely solo. My guys, of course, joining me, Channing Fry from the comfy confines, as always, of his home in Portland, Oregon. Always good to see you, Channing. That and then ugly yellow mustard chair. <laughs> Love it. Look. Reupholstered. Get uh, used actually, to yes, it. it's super comfy too. <laughs> I actually feel like you're like a king in that chair. Um, I feel like a king. I, I don't doubt you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then joining from the Orlando bubble, still in the bubble, um, he is surviving Richard Jefferson. Guys, Hello, good everyone. to see you as always. I'm really excited about this episode. Can we just get to it? Is that all right? Let's go. All right. So he is a former NBA head coach, having spent time with the Heat the Detroit Pistons, the Orlando Magic, but now he's turned NBA analyst for TNT, Turner, NBA TV. He's one of the best voices. His name is Stan Van Gundy. One of the best to ever do it. One of the, one of the best humans. Right. Stan, thanks for taking the time. We're so glad to have clap, you. Channing. That was a big clap. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time I've physically had to clap for anything? I've never, I haven't really left my house. I haven't gone to a sporting event. I don't clap in my house. You have children. You have to clap just like, oh, that's such a good job. Coach, I don't know if you. I don't clap at my children. I have have a feeling, Coach, you have some sort of idea of what you just got yourself into. Um, Well, yeah, I've seen the podcast and (laughs) I've seen both of these guys in action and other vids also. So, yes, I uh, was well aware of what I was getting into. And before we even came on air, they were making fun of me because I struggled with technology. So they didn't even wait till I got on here to start ripping me apart. So. But you need to give yourself some credit because very few people can get these two in line. And you snapped real quick and you said, respect your yeah. elders, put them in place. <laughs> Well, and I'm very yeah, much both start- of their elders. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's begin because, uh, as I just mentioned, Richard is in the bubble, still down there with the NBA. And, Coach, you just left the bubble not too long ago. How was the experience? Richard has his pickleball paddle. Did you play any pickleball when you were down there? And I didn't do anything. I really didn't. I broadcast <laughs> games. I got on Zoom calls. You know, I spent time with my brother. We would walk every morning because he's down there, and and that was it. I mean, it, it's boring as heck. Um, and our bubble's <laughs> not even as restrictive as the one Richard's in because they literally can't get out. I mean, ours, like, if you just wanted to walk out of there, there's nobody that would know. So um, <laughs> it, it, it's a little bit. Some guys, no, really, and some guys in the media – and they actually said it was okay. Go over to like Disney Springs and stuff, which is open to the public. So, you know, it, it's a whole nother deal. I mean, <laughs> where Richard is, they are confined. Oh, I yeah. found that out the hard way. So when I first got here, they took me to a testing station, right? Um, they took me to a testing station right next to the arena. And so like after that, I was in the bubble. Then like 10 days later, I'm getting off the bus. I was like, oh, let me just go get tested at the at the testing station that's right there in front of the buses, the same place when I first got here. And so I went and did it. Then I get this email saying, hey, you haven't been testing or you haven't tested yesterday. I was like, oh, I did. I tested at the arena. They're like, where at the arena? (laughs) 
And I was like, oh, like right at the trailers, they were like, you did what? So it went like <laughs> DEFCON 5 because apparently that's a yellow zone. And like you said, those people can just go to Walmart. They can go to Taco Bell. They can go to a concert if they want. I did not know that. And so I, they had to put me back in quarantine and I had to get multiple <laughs> negative tests to get out of quarantine because, and then they, and then now when you get off the bus, you see like a bunch of signs, like this is a yellow zone. If you come here, you will go back to quarantine. So I'm thinking to myself, after playing pickleball with the referees, I single-handedly could have caught COVID there, came back, played with all of the referees and pretty much ruined a $150 million bubble. Oh my God. I would have paid money for that. <laughs> Channing, how did, why do you think that way? <laughs> why well, do you think that way? I, I, obviously, I don't want it to happen, but if it did, but on a lower level where he really didn't get in trouble, but he just got embarrassed a little bit, oh, for sure, <laughs> I'm roasting him. I'm for sure roasting him. Okay. Uh, you, friends you gotta... friends like this. Friends like this, coach. Friends like this. Listen, yes. after 20 you years, that's why I have a... That's for sure. <laughs> I do want to know this, though, coach, because like you mentioned, you were down there with your brother. Are you guys close? I mean, I've read that you guys went on walks every morning, that you spent that time together. What was it like, though, in kind of isolation? Yeah, no, that part of it was actually good for me because we are really close. I mean, we probably talk five or six times a week anyway. I mean, almost every day. But we don't get to see each other that much. And so to be in a situation where I got to see him consistently and spend time with him, um, you know, that was one of the uh, advantages. Even in the worst situations, I, I think you can usually find a silver lining. And uh, that was the silver lining of the bubble. Guys, do you want to dive into uh, what is very easy and obvious right now? Please. Should we? Coach. <laughs> there you go. No, go ahead. I was going to make something up, but it's all right. <laughs> no, please, please. Here, here's okay, my question. Right? So in, in, when you put Coach Dwight Howard and Jason Richardson and J.J. Redick, half that team ended up playing for the Suns, and all they could talk about was your practices. Right. So my question was, <laughs> as a as a coach, where did you get your style from? Well, my dad coached for 40 years at the high school and small college levels. And so I grew up around the game, not only my dad, but all my dad's friends were coaches. So my brother and I grew up around coaching our entire life. And then when I came into the NBA, in 1995 from the college game, I was working for Pat Riley, who, you know, practices were long and hard, and that's what I was used to. And so, yeah, we probably at most points practiced more than most teams did. I had Byron Scott, who was a Pat Riley disciple early on, early on in my career. And <laughs> no, it's no, but it's it is true. Like that is the one thing. If you're in this league over a span of 15, 20 coach for you, you know, 30 years in this league, like everybody adjusts and change to like what the current climate is when it comes to whether it's resting players, less practice, um, you know, just Shoot, we didn't even have like massage therapists. We didn't have anything. We didn't have game rate. <laughs> all so all true. this stuff. All this stuff that these young kids have, uh, it's amazing how they have more technology to help these recover quicker. 
but then they still play less. That's the only thing for me. Right. I, look, I totally agree with you. I remember one of the things that people would always try to say about playing for Pat Riley, oh, it'll shorten your career. I said, really? I said, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, Derek Harper. You know, I mean, who are all these guys whose careers got shortened? I would say if you really did the research on it, guys who've been in those situations, their careers were longer. And the interesting thing now with the load management and all of that, injuries are going up. Games missed due to injury are going up. So if the answer is rest guys more, do less work, practice less, then why aren't we seeing a bunch of these guys being available all the time? We're not. No, I, I think it's a culture I, I thing, though. Like, back in the day, we like, go play basketball all day. I remember my dad would drop me off at 6 a.m. on Saturday and pick me up at 12 with, like, $5, right, to go get a jack-in-the-box <laughs> yeah. burger, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, F nutrition. If the water fountain wasn't working, you better save somebody and get a Gatorade and pour some water in that. And then, like, it was just you hooped all day. So you became conditioned for that. But I would also say this, like, I have never tried to hold that up, Channing, as that's the way to do things, okay? I, right, I think right. the one thing you can look at in the NBA in terms of the way coaches do things, there's a lot of different ways that have worked. And to try to tout this is the way you have to do it, I don't think that'll hold up to scrutiny. And as you guys said, and it's absolutely true, the one thing players are great at is players adapt very, very well. And whatever we do here, okay, you know, I'll adapt to that. And then it's somewhere else it's different, I'll adapt to that. I have found players to be extremely adaptable. Does your wife want you to coach again? <laughs> <laughs> My wife, um, Richard, is extremely supportive. And see That's some awesome. positive things there. Coach, I want to ask you this question. Um, there's six coaching spots available still to be filled in the NBA. Um, as we just mentioned, and as many have listened to you throughout this postseason run and calling games now with Turner, um, I know prior to last season starting, you mentioned that the season was starting, you weren't coaching, but you still had the itch. Um, and one of the things you loved about Turner was they gave you an opportunity to call games, to be in the arena. Do you still want to coach? I don't think that'll ever go away. You know, I mean, I, that's sort of what I've wanted to do my entire life. Since I was 13 years old and hit under 100 playing baseball and realized, okay, that's probably not going to be a career. And um, then I grew up before AAU basketball, and I went to the, one of the first big camps. I went to the Superstar Camp in uh, – in San Diego, because I grew up in California, and it's all the best players in the West. The way they decided teams the first day, this was really brutal, is we all, we did our tryout thing, and then we all sat in the stands, and the coaches literally called people down, okay? And there's 150 guys at the camp, and I'm sitting in the stands, and it's me and one other dude at the end. Like, no way. Now, now, but... I win 149th, though. 
I did not put a rat house in the trash. I went 149. But so it's when a you small win. and go 149th in the draft, you're saying, look, my playing career is probably going to be short. So from that point on, I wanted to coach. And so that itch will never go away. But I think also when you get to my age, there's also other priorities and things you want to do. And it's just always evaluating and trying to find the best situation to to both challenge yourself and have a life and enjoy and what's best for my wife and the whole thing. There's a lot of things that go into all those decisions. Uh, now, Coach, really quickly, um, does your wife want you to coach again? <laughs> my wife, um, Richard, is extremely supportive and sees That's some awesome. positive things there. Like you know, one of the things she really liked if you talk to the guys we had in Detroit, especially, they will talk about how great, like, the family room and everything was there. And that was my wife and a woman who was my executive assistant. I mean, it was incredible. And she enjoyed those relationships. So my wife misses those relationships. She does not miss the my moods when I coach. And so <laughs> I would say she would be 50 I don't miss them either. On wanting me to coach again. Yeah. Again, just because we're we're on the topic and we bring up your wife, Kim, um, I love her. I've never met her, but I saw your recent tweet, which uh, Stan is a great follow on Twitter at RealStanVG. Uh, she just received a package of Wade wine, and uh, your comment or the tweet that you put out was that, yeah, Dwayne was a good basketball player, but wine is what is important. And I'm, I'm there for all of that. I'm there for all of that chatter. No, yeah, no question. So she, she and Dwayne follow each other on I don't know if it's Instagram or Facebook. I'm only on Twitter, but she ordered his wine, and and yeah, that's what she said. And as soon as it came, she said, "I know he was a good basketball player, but wine's a lot more important." So, uh, oh, oh. I know. I, I would respect his wine work a lot more, Richard. <laughs> I was so bummed. I was so bummed when you guys drafted D Wade because the year prior to that, the Miami Heat were so awful that it was basically like we we used to be able to just go out there and party all night in Miami and then still get the win. But as soon as deep, as soon as deep, why couldn't you guys have drafted Darko instead? That would have really helped keep the fun going in Miami. Low key, you and D Wade kind of ruined all the fun down there. I just want to put that on. <laughs> yeah, that was actually my most fun year, his rookie year. I mean, on all the time coaching in the NBA. I mean, we had Lamar Oda. It was a lot of fun, um, you know, coaching those guys. But, but look, I mean, I, I think Dwayne's rookie year. Quite honestly, I've said this. This is the only time, and I'm as big a LeBron fan as you guys, maybe even bigger. Um, I've said I think he's the best player ever, but in their rookie years, Dwayne Wade should have been the rookie of the year, not LeBron. Oh, why? Yeah, well, you, he, he helped, wait, he, he helped lead a team. You guys went to the postseason that year. He had the game. We went to the second round. Yeah, he had that game winner. He bodied Baron Davis for the floater. I, rem I remember it, that. What? There's no question. Stan, why and do you I'll say that? I'll say that to this day. And I'm, well, I just think – what he did for LeBron was great his rookie year, um, but Cleveland didn't really do anything. Um, Dwayne took a team that had won 
61 games total in the previous two years. And Miami was a lot of fun. Miami was a lot of fun right. during those prior years. Exactly <laughs> right. And got us to 42 wins and the second round of the playoffs. I mean, what he did for that team and the way he changed yeah. it. And as a rookie, just like LeBron was in Cleveland, he was the best player on the team. So it wasn't like he was a rookie riding somebody's coattails. He was the best player on the team. Um, he was our go-to guy. I, I just thought he should have been the rookie of the year. And I'm not trying to cause a feud between Dwayne and LeBron. They're good friends. And LeBron's had an unbelievable career, even better than Dwayne's, as good as it was. But in that year, I thought Dwayne should have been the rookie of the year. What a twisted circle this must be for you when you think of, as we record this, it's the day before game one of the NBA Finals. So it'll be a couple days after, well into the series. But with your history in Miami, of course you had Dwight Howard. You just talked about how much of a fan you are of LeBron James. I mean, what is this like for you in terms of watching L.A. and the Heat? What are your thoughts in general on this finals? Well, I think it's going to be a great series. As far as rooting interest, I, I mean, I've probably, you know, Eric Spolster is a, a good friend, um, a really good friend. Malik Allen um, played for me both in Miami and Orlando and worked for me in Detroit. So those are probably the two people involved in this series I'm the closest to. Malik's on Eric's staff. So there's no question to me. I mean, if I have a rooting interest, it's Miami. But <clears throat> Dwight Howard, obviously, with the Lakers, I, I coached KCP uh, in Detroit. Right, yep. And so I'll be happy for whoever wins it. I'm very happy both those teams are in it. Um, I'm friends with Frank Vogel also. So... You know, I, I mean, I'll be happy either way, but if I have a rooting interest, it's with the Heat. Coach, this is my opinion. I just don't think that the Lakers shooters are efficient enough. So you have to play big to get more rebounds than the opponent. So more rebounds means more shot attempts. So here's a coaching question. And so so my, my cousin is the biggest Lakers homer of all time and he said do the Lakers have a chance and I said if they can beat his own so do you think as coach watching the Lakers and Heat that the Lakers can beat that zone I mean I think it'll be like anything it'll go back and forth I think it'll give them some problems early they'll probably figure it out to some degree I, I have said I, I think I would give the Heat a slight edge in this series and not just because of the zone but I think just in general I still don't buy the Lakers half-court offense. I, I just, I think they're limited. I think it's LeBron and Anthony Davis and a lot of question marks, right? I mean, I think if you can get back against the Lakers and yeah. you will really focus on keeping the ball out of the paint, that the Lakers can struggle offensively. Whereas I think Miami has a lot of options they have guys who can get to the paint. They get a lot of cuts, but they can also make threes. I mean, again, a slight edge because the Lakers have easily the two best players on the court. But I still think overall I'd give Miami a little bit of an edge in this series. I told somebody this. I said that the this series reminds me of the Laker-Detroit series. In 2004. Yes, the Lakers-Detroit yeah. series where you had a – where you had a lot of star power, where you had Gary Payton, Shaq, Kobe, Carl Malone versus a team. And someone pulled up the stats. This is not me knowing this. But the Lakers had 41 total <laughs> yeah, all-stars. 
like total all stars. <laughs> Shut up, Jenny. Uh, and then the Detroit Pistons at the time, they only had four. Ben Wallace was a two time all star, and uh, Rasheed Wallace was a two time all star. So this was before Chauncey. This was before Rip made all star games. And they were just such a good team, so well balanced versus the star power of the Lakers. And this series seems very, very similar. If you just took every player in this series and had a draft, right? Obviously, the first two picks would be Davis and, and James. And after that, my guess is six of the, the next, next, next seven picks, <laughs> six of the next seven picks would be um, Miami's guys. I think they're really, really hard to guard. Now, here, here's the caveat, though. If Bam Adebayo gets in foul trouble, I think he's the key guy for the Heat because they play through him on the offensive end of the floor. And to me, he's the only guy out there who has any kind of fighting chance guarding Anthony Davis. If, if he gets in foul trouble and can't play 38, 40 minutes a night, then I think that the advantage would shift to the Lakers. Okay, speaking of that, Coach, let me ask you this question then, because you've talked about how much you respect Eric Spolstra. You know him. You just mentioned moments ago, put him in the Hall of Fame already. Um, with his coaching style, do you think that he will start BAM on Anthony Davis, or do you think he will use him as a as a counter move? Yeah, that's interesting. And but part of it is going to go to who Frank Vogel decides to start. You know, is Frank Vogel going to start big like he did against Denver, obviously he had no choice with Jokic, and and start Dwight Howard or JaVal McGee at center, or is he going to go small like he did against Houston and and start Markeith Morris in there? I think if Frank Vogel starts big and Eric Spolstra puts Bam Adebayo on Davis, that means Jay, Jay Crowder's got to guard Dwight Howard, who will destroy him on the offensive glass. <laughs> destroy him. I mean, I mean... Crowder's a tough guy. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. you but No, he's not that big, dude. No, he's not. Dwight, I mean, Dwight, Dwight Howard is a, a different human being. He's just a different human being, his size. Like, yes. he's just so big yeah, and strong. Dude. Like, you got to put a big on him. And he's dangerous no, no when question. he doesn't have to play 30 plus minutes. If he has specific, like 24 under minutes, his energy is crazy. But when he has to play bigger minutes, I feel like he kind of reserves it. And then his role, he's kind of embraced it more and more as the season's gone on. And now he's the most dangerous person on the court because he's an offensive rebounder. He's a lob threat. He's a solid defender. He's an all-defensive player. So that's just a guy you could put in and out and, and burst is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question I'd have for you guys even is do you like the Lakers better when they go small or better when they play big. I like what they did in the regular season myself, where Anthony Davis started at the four, but when they went down to the last eight minutes, they would play him at center. I don't think they're quite as good when they play small more than they did in the regular season. Coach, this is, this is my opinion. I just don't think that the Lakers shooters are efficient enough, in my opinion. So you have to play big to get like more rebounds than the opponent. So more rebounds means more shot attempts. Uh, and so when you get more shot attempts, whether it's offensive rebounds or limiting their offensive rebounds on the defensive rebounding space, that means that you probably need to get 10 to 12 more shots because your players aren't gonna shoot well via efficiency. They have to do it via volume.
And the only way for them to do that is to play big. I totally no, agree. I, I like when they go big, man. I, I think for me, Anthony Davis has never been a center. If you look at his stats versus Jokic, when Jokic was guarded by AD, Jokic was barbecuing him one-on-one. He's way better off the ball, not having to guard your post-up guys. So if you play big, you, JaVale McGee's eating up space. Anthony Davis is eating up space. KCP, Braun, Danny Green. That's a really, really tall team. I like the physicality. I like that they do get rebounds. Like Richard said, I'm shocked I agree with him uh, via agreement. <laughs> Um, but no, no, I, I but, like when they go big. But I think that's the argument that the Lakers have had all season long is that they have that option because there was often times and it was that game when Miami was here in L.A. when they were able to go to A.D. more uh, and go smaller later in the game after Spo threw that zone out originally. So as much as I feel like Richard, you've made that point to me so many times about how much can you rely consistently on their shooters. I think the one thing that the Lakers have is the option to go different at any point throughout the game yeah. and still be able to dominate. And that's how you end up with the number one seed in the Western Conference. You might have holes in your game, right? Or areas that can be exploited, but the better you are at hiding those or limiting how badly they can be exposed, right? The Lakers don't have great shooting, but if you can get enough shots and rebound the ball well enough and play great defense, then you can force the other team into being less efficient and you give your shooters more opportunity. So it's like, even though it's something to talk about, they've done a great job of limiting their exposure in that area. There's no question. I think, Richard, you hit it right on the head. I mean, their flexibility to be able to play different ways is one of their great strengths. And you've got to give JaVal McGee, Dwight Howard, Marquise Morris, all of those guys, a lot of credit for accepting that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, so Dwight Howard and he play in the first round against Portland because Portland's got Nurkic, you know, and, and Whiteside. And then in the second round, they don't play virtually at all. And then in the conference finals, they're back. And Markeith just reversed that. And those guys have all, have all handled that. And, you know, it, it brings me back to a point Doc Rivers had said to me at one point during the year when we were doing one of their games, talking about guys to accept a role, and, and you guys can certainly speak to that. He said, you know what, it's really pretty easy to get guys to accept roles when they're on a team that has a chance to really do something great and to contend for a championship. Everybody's willing to sacrifice for that. He said when it's hard is are you willing to try to get somebody to sacrifice Hey, if you make this sacrifice, we can win 38 games this year. Yeah, and now guys are saying, hey, wait a minute. Like, you're going to play me less. I'm going to get less shots, all of that. And we're going to maybe get the eighth seed. You know, that's hard to get guys to play roles. But you guys have both been there on really good teams. It's a whole different thing when you have a chance to win. And I think Dwight Howard, I know for sure, sees that chance. And, hey, whatever role Frank wants me to play, I'm playing. And that, and that coach, that's what's so awesome about championship teams and you try and convey to people. Like the year that we were fortunate enough to win it, you know, in the second round, we played against Atlanta that had Al Horford and Paul Millsap. I did not play in that series. Do you know who played in that series? Channing Fry played in that series and played extremely well. And Kevin Love was so dominant. Eight threes, I think, in game three. Eight threes. 
Yes, but then fast forward, then fast forward, the next, are in the finals, we play against Golden State, and now I'm able nah, to step me. up. Play. <laughs> I mean, and that series that was not me. necessarily <laughs> for James Biden. But that's what the Lakers yeah. have. The Lakers do have. They have that ability to make you play big with them or to match up if you have a Jokic, uh, if you have, you know, uh, a, a Nurkic big player. But then they also have those players that go small and that allow you that versatility. And that's what makes the Lakers really, really scary and why they've been good all year. Just take a look at the three of us and you determine who you think's eating more chips in their <laughs> lifetime. about Dwight from the standpoint of I know that you were in his corner even when he got this second opportunity here in LA I read an awesome quote by you and the confidence that you had in him and his ability to respond what you're seeing I thought it was amazing in game five against Denver LeBron played 40 minutes the next player to play the most minutes at 35 was Dwight Howard have you been surprised at all did you doubt not only his willingness to do what he needed to do off the court and everything that was said about him from that standpoint but to then put it on the court and be able to impact the way he is. Did you ever have any doubt? Or are you surprised by anything you've seen from him? No, not really. I mean, again, going back to what we just said, I mean, I think he went there and immediately saw the opportunity to win. Um, and and these guys can, can talk to it more. I, it's always important to players to be in a chance to win. But as you get later in your career, it becomes more and more important. You know you don't have a lot of years left and you want to be a part of something special, something big. And I think that's what Dwight has been wanting. And he saw the opportunity. He knew he wasn't going to get a lot of touches offensively, but he also knew very well that there was a role there for him, that he could help that team defensively and on the boards and give them a chance to win the championship. So I'm not the least bit surprised that he bought into that. All right, this has been a great discussion, and obviously it's very topical because of Lakers heat, but I want to make a transition into a very interesting topic that I thought would be great for the three of you. Coach, you're so good at speaking your mind, debating, if you will, and you have two guys on either side of you as well that love to debate. Um, so I'm going to throw this out there, and I just want to see where they take it after you give your thoughts on this. It is the... Hot debate of Stan Van Gundy when it comes to plain chips versus flavored chips. And Wait, what? Yeah, what? potato oh, chips. Here we go. Okay. And Stan, right, you believe? <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when Allie does her research. You believe that plain chips are better than flavored chips. Oh. Okay. Well, I'll give you my take, but first of all. There's no way these guys can know more about this than I do. Just take a look at the three of us, and you determine who you think's eating more chips in their lifetime. It's clearly going to be me. Listen. These are two guys who are still in shape. Take a look at me. There's no chance they know more about this than I do. And here's the thing. You never want to eat chips without dip. And so... You've got to have plain chips because the flavor is coming from the dip and you do not want the chip interfering with that. That's the point. And so you should always choose a plain chip. 
See, these guys probably, <laughs> when they eat chips, they probably eat those like vegetable chips and crap oh, like that. What? With the veggie straws. The veggie straws. And with, no, and with no. no dip and everything no, else. Off, you can't but, but, listen to people like that on something <laughs> like snacks. No, 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 no. Coach, coach, listen. coach, coach. I am a chip connoisseur. I am a chip connoisseur. But I'm not a big dip and chip person. I'm not a big, I'm not like, like I like yeah. a good dip. But ultimately, it's sour cream and cheddar ruffles. It's hints of lime. If you haven't had the Hawaiian chips, <laughs> the, the barbecue Hawaiian chips, those are amazing. Oh, Hawaiian like chips slap. Yeah. I, I actually See, got to sign with Stan on this. A, a uh, plain lay <laughs> with sour cream and onion dip. I mean, game yeah. over. I, I, I also I'm think it's gonna, a cultural it's, difference. We're not a dip house either. If you notice, <laughs> one side says flavor and one side says plain. Right, it is 2020, so I'm being very cautious here, but I'm pretty sure we like things with flavor on them. Well, the only dip that gets played here is the guacamole, like guacamole, like that, oh, that plays yes. a plain no. tortilla, a plain tortilla, our chipotle tortilla chips with guacamole. That that is a good call, Coach. That is a good call. Richard, the the artichoke dip at uh, Houston's. Ridiculous, that a cheesy artichoke dip. Okay, so what do you eat yeah, that with? A1. But what do you eat that with? The chip. You could eat that the with the little pieces of bread. You could eat that with a chip, a tortilla chip. But we're talking about bags, a bag of chips. Yes. Okay. Should have flavor on it 99% of the time. No, 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 no. And listen, here's the other thing. That hint of lime stuff. I love people who want to try to sneak fruits and vegetables into like <laughs> junk food that doesn't even make sense like if you want to eat food eat fruit if you're gonna eat chips eat chips not together that doesn't even make sense when i was reading about you and your brother taking walks in the bubble there was a line in that article coach about how your brother said that he would walk on the treadmill at home usually with a bag of m&ms in his hand <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, hilarious. He said he understood, though, that yeah. that defeated the purpose. So. I only work out so I can drink more, right? That's the only reason why I work out. Like, yeah, I work out so I can actually drink, and you don't, like, you kind of, like, counterbalance it. It's like you get a Big Mac and fries, but you get a Diet Coke. You work out a ton so you can drink more. Like, it's just, you just got to find, like, life is about balance, ladies and gentlemen. You have to find that balance, and that's my balance. See, I agree with that. I had a roommate in college, big guy, and, you know, he would go to, like, the Sunday brunch in the dining hall and destroy the thing and have whatever he wanted, <laughs> French toast, pancakes, bacon, sausage. And he said the key to the whole thing, you can eat whatever you want as long as you have a Diet Coke. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. As long as you have a Diet Coke, you can eat whatever you want. Along the well, it, Dude, that's hilarious. it makes sense to him. Along the lines of food, since you spent time in Detroit, I'm supposed to ask you, did you ever hit a Coney? Oh, of course. And there's a lot of Coney places there. But the Coney places now in Detroit, you know, they, they serve everything. I mean, you can get breakfast. You can get whatever you want. What's It'll still Coney? say Coney, Coney, but they're... Isn't a Coney like a Coney, Coney dog, Island? like a hot dog? It's a hot dog, right? And it's, yeah. you know, 
And it's got chili, beans, cheese, beans. Wait, 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 wait. Isn't Coney Island, that's not in Detroit. But Detroit has become famous for the Coney Island hot dogs. Yes. That's what they've become famous for. So there, you're right. So Detroit, Coney Island's so, not there. So Detroit, so Detroit is famous for another city's hot dog. Yeah. All right. It's hard to, you know what? I had never really thought of that. But you're exactly right. Phoenix Phoenix is famous for their Philadelphia cheese. <laughs> Richard, you know what you are right now? You're a hater. You need to get out of the bubble. You are a hater. So, well, first of all, like it, I never left the hotel in Detroit. I just stayed in the Townsends for obvious reasons. I, I miss Birmingham. Uh, I like Birmingham. But I, just, I, I like Birmingham. It's a quaint little town. It's a piece of Americana. It's amazing. But my, but my, my, my problem is I can't get over the fact that like Detroit is famous for another city's food. It's all. Famous for you guys remember this? It's also famous for when Stan Van Gundy was the uh, face of a rap album. It wasn't actually a rap album, but Andre Drummond took a picture of me. We had to go to this bike riding event. We we rode and Monday nights they have uh, forget what like a slow roll, and everybody just comes down and rides their bike. I was down there, it was a little cool. I was in sweats and the whole thing. I had a hat on, and Andre Drummond took a uh, picture of me near near a bike, and it. Uh, yeah, it was quite the sensation. I didn't even know why, to be quite honest. I spent 40 years in coaching. This is brand new. It's a whole different ball game and just trying to get better at it. The last thing I'm gonna throw out, because I asked my guys and they've let me down so far in this episode, um, will you at any point in time, given as we talked about it with the Lakers having Anthony Davis and LeBron James, will you ever at any point in time send a little note to Eric Spolstra to have in his scouting report, we must form a bleeping wall? That was amazing. That got picked up. That was just with two tenths of a second to go in a game, you know? So it was amazing. It got picked up. I, no, I won't give Eric Spolstra any suggestions whatsoever. That dude's had an unbelievable career on his own. He don't need me. That was amazing, though. Coach, I got one one random question, right? So uh, oh, I started calling games. I, still, I think Channing should call games. Channing, I think you would have so much fun calling games. I have are, ADD, are how much, Richard. How much do you, you, you are very good. No, but it's different having ADD because this is the problem with your ADD. When you used to sit on the bench, you used to just talk to whoever it was, fans, players next to you. Like, I used to have, Coach, I used to have to sit next to Channing because guys would get up and they'd be like, I can't sit next to him anymore. I'm trying to watch the game. He won't stop talking about it. I'll sit, I'll sit next to him. I was like, I'll sit next to him. So I would sit next to Channing, and then one time Allie like yeah. looked over at him and saw Channing just he was at the talking end to of the, the fans. bench talking to two fans, explaining what was going on in the game. Because I had Here's found out, I had found out, Coach, that Channing talks so much that the players just stopped listening to him, and since they stopped listening to him, he just started talking to the fans mid-game. I don't like being inside my head, right? I don't want to be inside oh, my head. So everything I see, I say it out loud. Everything. 
And we understand that, Channing. We understand that. And I, as your brother, like, I was like, I'll sit down. Like, everybody has, like, porters that they sit next to Channing, right? So he has porters. <laughs> but, like, it's not what, it's what he's saying is accurate. Point being is this. How much are you really enjoying calling the game? Because you're really, really good at it. There are certain people, like, when you, you watch the game. Hilarious. Like, you enjoy it. You so enjoy fun. it. It's funny. You give a perspective and you oh. learn something. Like, coach, I want you to coach. But if you never coach again, you could do this until the cows come up. We'll be set. As fans, we'll be set listening to you. Yeah. We're well, I appreciate vegan. you guys. That's, that's nice of you to say. Um, you know, but I enjoyed it. And, and Richard, you know, because you worked with, you know, you've worked with Ian Eagle a lot. We say this all the time about players, right? They make other people better. And that's what Ian does as a broadcaster in a lot of ways, like setting me up on the air but also coaching me. I mean, you know, I yeah. told him early on, like, hey, I'm new at this. You know, criticize me, coach me, tell me what I want. And, and he was willing to do that. So, you know, I worked with him during the year. And then my first eight games in the bubble this year. Um, and he was really, really helpful. I'm just trying to get better every day. I'm new at it. But I love being there. I have to run because I have a sports center hit, guys. I love you guys. I miss you, Coach. Thank you so much for joining. These two lovely individuals are going to take you the rest of the way. I'm getting yelled at right now because I'm late. I'm so sorry. I have to <laughs> cut out of here, guys. But you know, this bubble talk is not is not as much fun as I would like. All right. I love you guys. Bye. Do you have shorts on? <laughs> no, there we go. I think just Shut to wrap your screen, Richard. He's gone. <laughs> to wrap this up, Coach, um, just because he kind of brought up a great point, and I always kind of wondered this too, uh, especially with the postseason, would you have ever, ever wanted to call a game alongside your brother? I called one last year. I worked for oh. ESPN last okay. year, and we called one in uh, L.A., actually, a Laker. Uh, it was interesting. Laker New Orleans when Anthony Davis was playing limited minutes for the uh, – for the Pelicans, and it was fun. Dave Pash was a play-by-play -play guy, and it was just fun. I mean, seeing him and, and working with him. Um, but I'm not nearly on that level. I'm, I'm not. I mean, you know, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be modest, but I mean, he's been at it for 13 years, and you know, I know I'm biased, but he's the gold standard in in doing it. And and I'm I'm a rookie. I'm I'm year one, and just just trying to get better and. You know, he's helped me. Mike Breen's helped me with advice. Ian Eagle helped me more than anybody. This is all new to me. Like, I spent 40 years in coaching. This is brand new. It's a whole different ball game and uh, just trying to get better at it. Would you ever guess that you and Channing would be teammates? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. I got to tell you, I've been waiting for this experience. But, but listen, Channing Fry, the, the challenges of guarding him, when people started playing him at the five in particular, right? So people look at sort of this revolution of the three-point stuff. Channing Fry was the first guy, at least on a regular basis, that I encountered as a coach who was a shooting five, okay? And so how we had to guard pick and rolls, we developed an entire different defensive scheme that then I used throughout the rest of my career, the one thing I've always appreciated in this league is good players on the other teams force you to grow as a coach. Um, and Channing Fry and his ability to shoot the ball at the five forced me and my coaching staff to, to grow. So I have great appreciation for that. 
Well, damn. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate that. <laughs> Janet, were you ready for that? <laughs> no, I was not ready for that. Listen, I'm used to Richard roasting me all the time. You know, I got to build myself up. It feels good to get a compliment. <laughs> it really did force us to get better. The good players always make you get better. And I appreciate your contribution into making me think about the game. Oh, game. man. This is what makes you Thanks, so coach. good, Stan, because just because you're a coach and you're around basketball every day doesn't mean that it, you can translate and you can sit in a booth and you can relay that to fans. I always say that's what makes the best commentators, the one that allow us as fans, as viewers to learn. Uh, and you have that insight, obviously, as an expertise when it comes to being a coach, uh, but it translates into the booth. And that's what makes you great, special. Um, and for this, for this time, to give us this time, we, we can't thank you enough. It's been so much yeah, fun. Yeah, thank you, Coach. Um, we got to get you back on. Not many people know that we've been working on this for a couple weeks, uh, but because of the bubble life and your busy schedule, um, you, you were patient with us and you gave us your time today. So we appreciate you. You're wonderful. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Of course. Thanks, Coach. Another edition of Road Trippin'. All right.